I absolutely loved the free flow nature of this interview with Claire Snowden Darling from Balance Wellness in the UK. Claire shares her absolutely harrowing birth story and how this led her down the path to discover ultimate hormonal health and wellness, enough to create a career from it. I love the quote from Claire, the best menopause is the one you've been preparing for over a decade and never a truer word spoken. And the whole purpose of this podcast, educate, learn how your body works, get ahead of it and stay sexy, baby. Very excited to welcome Claire Snowden-Darling to the Sexy Aging Podcast. Welcome along, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. I love the name of your podcast. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's the paradox, isn't it? It's like, is it sexy? Is it aging? What is? What, can those two words be together? I think that's the, the question. Yeah. And I think that's that's where we want to go with the conversation. I'm just going to do a really brief introduction on you. And I really would love you to tell us all about yourself. But what I found is that you have quite an impressive resume, Claire. <laughs> and I'll invite you to share more about that with the listeners. But the reason I've invited you to speak today is because of your harrowing birth story that took you on the journey to find out more about women's health, how we can deal with it and of course menopausal health that brings or hormonal health that brings us mm. to perimenopause and menopause and your work around that mm. so handing the microphone to you Claire batter up <laughs> okay so yeah so in 2004 I gave birth to my daughter and we had the most horrendous labor and it was three-day labor and uh, basically uh, both of us nearly died it was horribly bit mismanaged due to the times that I went into labor I should have been given an emergency c-section many you know many many hours before I, I was given it but because of staffing they decided to just keep me in limbo and that keeping me in limbo for basically nine hours until the morning shift came on my body just you know completely fell apart because they just kept giving me more drugs uh, more intervention anything just to keep me going until the 10 a.m you know the 10 a.m surgical shift could could get in um, and it, it I, I can understand it from a business perspective but basically what happened for me yeah I can understand it from you know how the, that model has to work but uh, but what about the fact that you're a human <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I, I, yeah, I, I do understand why they work like that. But ultimately, it was completely the wrong decision for me. And my daughter got very, very distressed. Um, my blood pressure was just dropping and my heart rate was dropping and dropping and dropping. And so by the time I went into the emergency C-section, it was a case of they kept on having to keep my husband like literally pinching my ears and keeping me awake because I was trying to pass out. And they said, you know, if, if she passes out, she's with her heart rate that low, she's going to die. I mean, it was just awful. And then I remember this situation during the surgery where this woman just popped her head out. And it, I remember at the time thinking it was almost comical because it was like a hammer horror. I mean, she was just covered in blood. And I was like, okay. And she said, did you want to breastfeed, dear? And I went, yes I did want to try and she said right and she popped her head back and I was never told anything else about it and basically what I found out four days later was I'd had a placental hemorrhage and lost you know nearly two liters which they should have replaced but they thought oh well she wants to breastfeed so we won't 
So, you know, long story short, when I came around in recovery, I was, I mean, I barely came around. I was utterly exhausted and that exhaustion never left me. It was such a big trauma, the surgery and the hemorrhage that it actually put me into um, chronic fatigue. It put me into, uh, we're seeing it now all over the world with this, you know, post-viral fatigue, but it's the same situation, uh, just a different trigger. So this horrendous chronic fatigue and I couldn't, uh, I didn't recover from surgery very well because I didn't have enough blood. Of course, I couldn't really feed her very well because I wasn't getting my milk in. It was just a couple of, I mean, weeks of horrendousness and not being told what had happened to me. And I found it because the health visitor accidentally left my notes. Um, so it, it just not knowing what was going on. And then, you know, I was 27 years old. So thinking that I was just doing this all wrong and I can't do it and it's me and, oh, it was awful. So I was left not only with the fatigue, but quite quickly afterwards, this realizing that I couldn't, this realization that I couldn't be alone with my baby because I had postpartum psychosis. And it was one of those irrational, well, if she's crying a lot, I just need to put her outside the house or I just need to, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it, it was definitely not right. And it then that, when that passed, that then led to three years of horrendous postnatal depression, which I did come out of, but the fatigue never left. And it was the fatigue and just trying to feel a bit more like myself that got me onto the path of uh, doing a bit of exercise and eating a bit better, which is how a lot of this starts, I think, our interest in women's health. And it was then when I was starting to eat better that somebody, I went to an event um, with uh, some of these health food bars. I was actually helping market them. And somebody said, oh, they're doing kinesiology tasters upstairs. And every hair on my body stood up on end. And I went upstairs and the woman said, did you want a taster? I said, no, I need to sign up to a course. And it was like this catalyst had happened where I knew I was going to change my life. And that is, you know, ultimately what happened. But the chronic fatigue um, ultimately, it was hormones being unstable and not long after, uh, so I was, I was 27 when I had her and by 32, my periods were irregular. The doctors were saying there was nothing wrong. No one could find out what was wrong. And I had eight years of this, you know, something's wrong, nothing's wrong, weight gain, uh, all of the things until at 40 or 39, I was diagnosed with premature menopause. So it was, they, the doctors never said it was to do with my birth trauma. I, I, it was just such a clear line for me that I'd never really managed to get myself right. And then thrown into what has been also a very, very challenging menopause and continues to be because I went into it with this, you know, broken body situation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you would say, I can see how you would think that, like how yeah. the trauma and everything, your hormones never stabilizing, things never coming back to normality. Uh, and then getting to an age where you, yeah, we were talking, I was talking with previous interviews and they're saying anything from 38. And a lot of women go into 40 and they go, yeah, life's awesome. 40's the new 30. And I'm like, you actually, you need to learn a little bit about what's going to happen to your body. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and, you know, get on top of it because you don't want to come into sort of mid 40s and not know what's yeah. actually already been happening to get you to that part where one day you wake up and it's like, what happened? Whereas yeah. you've already got this happening and I can see how you would come to that conclusion. Yeah. So then what happened with your with your study? Like, obviously, it's it's a really amazing thing that you can go through trauma and then you can take that power back. 
and learn something to help others. So how was your journey with educating yourself around all of this? Yeah, so I then went, um, and I probably didn't help my hormones because I then kind of went off into this crazy frenetic, oh my gosh, I am falling down the rabbit hole into the, the wonderland of alternative health. And it was, it just all made so much sense to me. And my, my dad's a, a real life rocket scientist. So he's like science, science, science. But somehow I found the same knowledge, familiarity, knowing in all the things that I was studying. So I, I sort of threw myself onto this path and, and I learned uh, particularly kinesiology and nutrition. I just sort of, you know, threw myself into it. But it became really frustrating. So I, by that point, had a very successful practice. I'd been in practice for quite a while. Um, so, I mean, I, I'd, I was teaching up in London. I was walking my talk. I was eating the way I was supposed to eat. I was taking supplements. I was exercising right. I, you know, the mindfulness, the gratitude. I mean, you just layer it. I was doing all of it. And I was thinking, why aren't I getting better? And at that point, the doctor still didn't have an answer for me. And I actually, after having a a few sort of business crashes along the way, um, still dealing with all this with my fatigue because I just wanted to feel better. And these erratic periods that were getting worse and before I bled, putting me into, you know, bed for three days, which I've never had, just unable to move, not even pain, just a fog and unable to move. And I actually had to take a sabbatical uh, to Australia. And I remember sitting on the beach at Byron Bay with a friend of mine and she at the time, she's a few years older than me, so she was definitely starting to hit Perry, uh, but she was eating, she'd just recently become a single mum, she'd left her partner, two children, had only recently moved to Sydney, very, very expensive, you know, (laughs) place to live, having to suddenly provide, she was, her periods were awful. And they, I mean, she was just bleeding out and they decided to put her on, I think, an implant, but she was eating really badly. And I remember just saying to her, you are so overwhelmed and your periods are going to be destabilized at your age anyway, but the way that you're eating isn't helping. And I just drew in my journal a triangle. And this is actually where it all started because I just, and it's so simple now, but I just connected the dots between your periods are awful but you're highly stressed and your diet is contributing to your stress. And I remember sitting there and looking at that going, ah, what happened was I came back to England after my sabbatical and my business partner and I were mostly taking a break. We were doing our own podcast at the time, but we weren't just focusing on any big projects. And I just said to her, I think I had a bit of an insight and it would be a really great way of explaining things to clients. And I just sort of like told her about this triangle. And the next thing I know, we'd actually, she'd gone off and started doing all this huge amount of research and realized that no one talks about this triangle of hormonal health and how our diets can, we know that diets contribute to stress. We know that stress contributes to um, um, uh, female hormone system fallout. We also know that the the stress and the insulin uh, are connected, but no one ever puts it together and says, if we don't take control of these two sides of the triangle, this one is going to be freaking awful. And it actually then stemmed to us creating 
workshops and then it's actually turned into uh, five accredited practitioner training courses uh, and yeah, then ultimately writing some books around it. And this is now what we teach. We teach these methods. We're teaching these methods to practitioners, to clinicians. And the big exciting thing for women, I think, is so many of us are bogged down with things like irritable bowel syndrome and mm. so many people now battling autoimmune diseases. And we feel like, oh my gosh, our, my body is fighting me. I'm, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this IBS. And actually when you realize that our immune system and our digestive system are actually just victims of this triangle being unstable. Well, gosh, okay, well, I might not be able to do anything about this one, but I can do something about this one and I can do something about this one. And so this empowerment starts to come through, I think, with menopause, uh, with any of our conditions, when we understand that every single day we can be taking steps to change how we feel. Yeah, thank you so much for the, the description on the triangle because I, from a personal perspective, just so I can acknowledge um, what you've just told us, that probably happened for me, um, the realization that those three parts. So for me, if I create my own triangle, it would have been uh, stress, sleep, and nutrition. So those three things for me, once I sorted out that, it actually has helped my my um, dealing with symptoms, because I'm never going to avoid it, because I am a woman who is in her third age experiencing um, estrogen <laughs> dropping. So I'm going to experience, you know, 27 <laughs> of the 35 symptoms, apparently. Uh, well, my husband confirmed them in episode 10. So he was pretty, pretty on the money. But it's, it's quite, it's quite amazing that um, the understanding of how stress affects me, and how sleep affects me and then how what I put into my body affects me like those as I'm so hyper aware that it's like if I don't follow what I know to be true it's like a little alarm bell that goes off in my head and it's actually a really empowering thing it's not like a guilt-ridden thing it's like I need these alarm bells to tell me you know Trace you can have that high sugar day but you're going to feel it tomorrow you will feel uncomfortable irritable you won't sleep well <clears throat> and you probably snap at someone and you won't remember the list of things that you wrote down so all these things that you can say okay those are all uh, menopausal are actually just easily dealt with you know yeah. good nutrition good sleep and maintaining low levels of stress so yeah. I 100% I, I support you this is, this is what I love about menopause, <clears throat> you know, having now, oh gosh, I don't even know where I am in it, but, but having now been going through the journey, I, I think since I was sort of 36, but sort of, you know, since diagnosis is 40, um, since tangible symptoms, let's put it like that, not just destabilized periods. Uh, what I find it is this empowerment and, and doesn't menopause just shine this bright light on anything that's not serving you? And it's almost like a challenge of, do you have the courage? Have you got the courage to change that? So that might be the, okay, well, I know I'm drinking too much or I'm eating too much sugar or I know I'm eating too many refined carbs or it's that toxic relationship or it's the negative self-talk around your body image or you're over-exercising or you're working too hard. Do I have the courage to change it? And it's just this invitation, I think, to drop into this, like this real deep intuition about who we really are when we get rid of all of the, the trying to prove things and trying to achieve things, just actually being where we are and who we are. Yeah, 
Thanks, Claire, for touching on that. Um, with the woman that you work with personally, just a couple mm. of simple questions. What's the most common symptoms that they, they express to you of um, perimenopause? Obviously, they're symptoms mm. that make them not feel well. What are you hearing today? Mm. And is it any different from a few years ago? What have you mm. noticed? So what I'm noticing is women are younger when they're first starting to notice perimenopause. Well, they don't know their perimenopause symptoms. So it'll be the, I'm just much more anxious than I used to be. I don't know why I'm so anxious or I'm just less confident. What's happened to my confidence or yeah, that's such a biggie, isn't it? Or my sleep's just not quite right and I can't quite get it back or this weight gain. There's just something and it's really sort of low level, but then noticing it and going, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And I'm thinking, mm, yeah, those, those, those hormones are destabilizing. What I'm noticing with women who are more going through that transition, um, I'm, I tend to see the women who are having a really, really rough time and I'm their last port of call. So they might have been put on HRT that's just not serving them. It's the wrong HRT. It's too strong. It's too, um, they, were, they were put on it whilst they didn't have any foundations of health in place. And I think we're seeing now a lot of women where there is a high wheat diet, a high sugar diet, a high stress lifestyle. Now the HRTs are actually making them worse. Yeah, worse. Okay, uh, this is a really good conversation that I've yeah. just had also with another kinesiologist and a naturopath. So while I am not, I am not vindicating one way or the other because yeah, I no. believe in you know with in the medical mm -hmm. in the medical field that there is definitely a place for everyone. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. what where we all agree is that your foundations of your own personal health, your sleep, your stress, your nutrition, your movement, and how mm. you feel about yourself. If you've got those foundations through from sort of 35 through to about 45, then your chances of needing HRT may yeah. be less. It's actually, yes. it's, there's not any necessary science proven thing, but it seems that if you are a really healthy person and then you come to perimenopause, you will know that the symptoms are there because it, like you say, you start feeling anxious yeah. and those things are like, well, how would they be related to my hormones? <laughs> you know, you have those questions. But what's really interesting is that like I, I'm, I'm 50, I'll be 51 next month. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> you look so Woo! great. <laughs> Woo, 51, baby, 51. And um, because I started this, this uh, journey of understanding my body, yeah. um, over five years ago, I while I am experiencing the perimenopause symptoms, and I think I'm closer to menopause now, because um, I haven't had a period in six or seven months. So I'm yeah getting closer. And, um, but what's really cool is I am not at the point where I'd be putting up my hand going, I can't deal with this, and I probably need to look at HRT. Yeah. But I can understand for women why and I yeah. would not not take that away if I was in that place myself I would yeah. definitely be considering it yeah. and I would investigate yeah. my options for sure yeah oh and uh, yeah women who can get through on you know either nothing or a little bit of uh, chased berry or you know I'm like well done and I'm so happy for you and some women need a huge amount more scaffolding and I, I, I do find the whole thing really interesting and it's like you know that thing when we become mums and there's that judgy mum, oh, and your child's not doing that. And like, we have to stop that. We have to just allow people to be where they are on their journey. And, 
And you know, this is one of my big passion areas is I often talk about in this situation, my auntie Valda. Now my auntie Valda passed away a couple of years ago in her eighties. And so she was a stereotypical fifties housewife. And so the way I talk about how auntie Valda would have lived her life is how we should be able to transition into menopause. So her life was She'd get up in the morning, she'd get everyone ready for school and husband off to work. And then they would go and she would sit down, you know, she'd clear away breakfast and sit down with her breakfast and a cup of tea with them some music on and just sit, you know, for a bit before she went up and got herself dressed and then, you know, got herself ready and went out and bought the bits for dinner. Then she'd have a bit of a flurry with the housework. And then guess what? She'd sit down, cup of tea, listen to the radio. I don't know women today who have a little flurry and then sit down, listen to the radio, have a cup of tea, because our to-do lists are so massive. So I was on a, a panel conversation with a GP the other week, and she actually said the best menopause is one you've been preparing for for you know a decade before. And this is why these women, you know, look at my auntie Valda, and they, they floated through with a few hot flushes and oh, tropical moment, tropical moment. But they aren't going through, you know, women are crawling into my clinic going, I'm absolutely broken. I'm broken by what's going on. Because when our ovaries stop making those hormones and our adrenals have to take over, if our adrenals are, right, I'm building this business and I'm doing this, or I've dealt with this trauma and this toxic relationship, and we haven't got it. We just haven't got it. Yeah. No, you, yeah, you're right. And it does, it does shine a light on today's world and how we feel that if we don't have a booking every single hour of the day, we don't feel productive. And then, and the comparison factor, right? Whereas yeah. I feel, I feel like now that um, I think that's the upside we talked about that of COVID. It yeah. has given us a chance to pull back and reevaluate what healthy living should probably be like. Yeah. As in, you know, like you can get COVID. So therefore that's, that's not a good thing. So that compromises your health overall, but really just across the spectrum of health, mental, emotional, relational, you know, physical, what we need to be doing to have this longevity, this level of longevity. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. 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 And it's exciting that that ability to really choose what we're going to do with our life how we're going to spend our time who we're going to see that that feels like those boundaries you know that ultimately comes from from deep self-love and I do think that menopause forces us to start making those decisions yeah when you um just getting to the nitty-gritty now like so when you when you meet with a woman and she's really struggling with the menopause journey what are some of the tools that you give her just generally because I know that everyone is different right so you know, you, I mean, obviously there'll be um, a questionnaire that she'll need to discuss with you and break down. But generally, what's some top tips that you can um, help the listeners and the viewers start to think about? Mm. So diet is absolutely first and foremost, the first thing and um, balancing your blood sugars. And so that doesn't mean just regular eating. It means making sure that when you eat, you're eating a protein source fats and the right amount of starchy carbohydrates so all the green leafy veggies that you know that we can get because we really need those especially as we're dealing with all these excess hormones and then um but being quite careful with our starchy carbohydrates we need starchy carbohydrates particularly at menopause our thyroid needs them but when we have you know a big risotto that's got butternut squash and sweet potato in it and with a glass of wine 
that's all carbohydrates, maybe a bit of fat. We need to be balancing that out. And our bodies will tell us you'll be getting more hot flushes. You'll be, you know, just piling on the weight and getting the brain fog. So we have to become more aware of carbohydrate quantity at menopause and definitely getting our fats in. So if people are kind of holding back because they're putting on weight, that is not the thing to be holding back on. We need the proteins, we need the fats and the leafy greens. Um, magnesium is huge for women, huge, huge, huge. And uh, I mean, it just does, it does 300 things in the body. Uh, it's incredible. And it's not in our soils. We, you know, we do need to supplement with it because we've depleted our soils. So I like to, there's so many different types that you can get, but I like to, to work with the magic four. If you're constipated, magnesium citrate. If you have loose bowels or really um, uh, sensitive bowels, magnesium glycinate. If you have muscle twitches, then uh, magnesium malate. And then if you just need to really de-stress, if you need to really de-stress, magnesium taurate. That's like the magic four. So like magnesium taurate is more like nervous system and I'm wired. Malate is the twitchy muscles. And uh, yeah, glycinate if you need gluing up and, and citrate if you're constipated and needs it to, to loosen. So magnesium is absolutely huge. Um, I, I'm a big fan of women reassessing their toiletries, their um, cosmetics and their cleaning products. We've got to get those endocrine, those hormone disruptor chemicals out. Like they are not going to be helping you right now. Um, and then mindfulness around exercise. So if you're beating yourself up with a hit class at seven, eight o'clock at night, you know, do that in the morning. Don't be doing that at nighttime, especially if you're having sleep problems or weight gain. So really learning how to exercise. And it is a journey of surrender. So some mindfulness and kind of, this isn't a, a war, it's something that's happening and learning how to navigate that. Yeah. Hey, thanks for your tips. I wrote down magnesium malate and I just want to sort of frame why I've, I've jumped on that because it's the first time I've heard that. Um, so I was teaching group fitness classes up until the end of the year last year. Um, and I, I had one class that I taught at night and the classes I teach were kind of borderline hit cycling. Um, so it was a ride yoga so in that way, yeah, it's pretty cool. So you get the cardio, but my heart rate showed that I was in anaerobic zone. And, and there was a point behind that because the cycling was only 30 minutes. So my, my thinking was, let's go really hard because it's just 30 minutes. And then the, the add-on effect of the, the ongoing calorie burn is what people ultimately want. Mm. And everyone in my class is like 25. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm giving them what they want, but I balanced it with the yoga. And so that's kind of a, a thing that I did. But what I noticed is that every time I taught that evening class, two things happen three things would happen my muscles would twitch through the night um I would sweat profusely as if I hadn't stopped cycling and my sleep was absolutely horrendous mm -hmm. so when I did switch off that class or I stopped teaching my sleep has restored I don't have muscle twitches and I'm not getting the the sweating in the night. So I'm if I, I can say one thing that you that you've mentioned for anyone or anyone who thinks they're perimenopausal, if you are working out at night and especially hit workouts, get off it. Yeah, get <laughs> off it. Yeah, we yeah. have to rethink our exercise. It's really important. Yeah, and over exercise as well. That's another key. Like if you're just battering yourself every single day. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think how that happens is 
with women in their sort of end of 30s that, you know, the kids are at school now, so they have a little bit more time to dedicate mm -hmm. to themselves or go for that morning run. Um, they're hitting their 40s. They've been told, and there is that sort of marketing that 40s is the new 20s. So you should look like this. And so you beat yourself up and you work out and you do like a hit class twice a day. And then for a while there, you're killing it and you're looking amazing. Everyone's like, wow, you look so good. And then the hormones change, which you're not aware of. And you start to put the weight on, even though you're still training like that. So that's yes. like a really, really common thing that I hear. And it's like, for me, it's really obvious. It's like, well, well you're perimenopausal. And they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Am I? What? <laughs> me? Me? But I'm only 45. I'm like, uh, you're uh -huh. so perimenopausal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go thanks for telling me that but you are <laughs> yeah, yeah and they and then they run for the hills in denial for like a year yes <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah so Claire um you also have written some content to support the work that you do so um, I always talk about a book or a course or a poem or something that you would recommend so can you tell us a little bit about what you've written and that you've put yes. out there in the world yeah, lots. But we uh, so the the, the big um, the, the book is actually we have a couple of textbooks, which is very exciting. So actually, we got to present our work to uh, the Australian Kinesiology Association the other month, which was so exciting because I felt like Australia was the birthplace of it. So it was really lovely to get the opportunity. So, yeah, so we actually currently have a couple of textbooks. Um, so because we teach these methods to practitioners, uh, not just kinesiologists, but any, but any practitioner, we have a functional wellness coaching course that anybody who is a personal trainer, because aren't we fed up as women of being told by our personal trainers that if you are putting on weight in perimenopause, it's because you're not tracking it and you're in denial about what you're eating like this is this has to change. It has to change. So well, Claire, if I can just jump in there, it's just, I think this is one of the areas where there is very little information is how to train yeah. a woman in mid forties uh, through perimenopause and menopause. Yeah. So personal trainers, if there's any personal trainers listening, this is the new billion dollar industry. Yeah, massively. I was on a clubhouse the other day with a this 27 year old, I think personal trainer, this guy came into a room on menopause and he just said, I need to hear from all of you because I have absolutely got to understand how to train you. And I was like, I love you. You're amazing. Um, but yes, absolutely. So, um, so we teach these methods to practitioners um, all over the place uh, of all different um, modalities. Um, but the other content that we have is I'm, I, all the physical stuff is really important, but actually so is the emotional transition. And so the other content that we have is we do uh, a lot of emotional support work uh, for women and it's called Reclaim Your Life and that is an online program. So we've got loads of online programs and also uh, yeah, lo lots of lots of textbooks, um, but we do have, uh, we're currently writing our actual hormone book, which will be out next year. Oh, that's absolutely awesome. I mean, we are in the business of helping women successfully navigate their way through the third age. Mm. So thank you so much for coming on as a guest for Sexy Aging. Thank you so much. I originally interviewed Claire before Dr. Rebecca Lewis in episode 18. 
And at that point, I was not educated to the benefits of HRT. So you will hear my ignorant comments where I'm not able to give an informed opinion on HRT. And this is true to my desire in putting out this podcast, just like so many of the listeners, I am learning so much and it is truly a minefield. But I'm in too deep now and I am obsessed with learning how we can thrive in midlife. Hey, it's been three months and over 5,000 downloads to Sexy Aging and I couldn't be more thrilled to know that women out there are starting to get the conversations going and the information that they need to help them transition through this incredible third age. And it can be incredible. Now, we don't want to hold this information to ourselves. It's imperative that we share this with our girlfriends, with our moms, with our significant others, so that we can all get on board and understand what's going on with our bodies and our minds. It's so important to share this information. It's no longer taboo. It is a conversation that needs to be had across all walks of life, uh, from career to home life to relationships. So, so important for our mental health as well. So if you wouldn't mind sharing, subscribing, rating on Apple Podcasts, come on, be a darling, get on it and share the good news that the menopause story is here and we've got this. Let's do it, ladies.